Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did you pack your soccer shoes? Yeah. All right. Next time I see you, we'll be on the outside. Right. Oh, get on the inside of this. <laughs> hey, three days, seriously. Proud of you, bud. Thank you. You know what? Give me another one. Me too. Gosh, freedom, new uh, business. I am sensing greatness. I had a fun weekend, Daddy. Me too, Peanut. But just wait till next weekend. Once I'm out of here, you and I are going to go paint this town red. We'll have so much ice cream, we'll never stop puking. <laughs> You're getting good at that. Let's do that. Bye, Daddy. Bye. 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 Three days. Easy peasy. Hello, world. Here's a song that The world outside your window is still not great, but here on Post Show Recaps, not only is everything super, but we'll make you happy. We'll make you happy. Kevin, you can't do a better. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard you sing before, Josh. This was a sad attempt at singing on your part. <laughs> it wasn't. A, I wasn't singing. I was just trying to like drag out, enunciate the way that the Partridge family says happy. You didn't know this was the Partridge family. I, I didn't, and I um I'm gonna just blame that on me being not knowledgeable enough about white people things. Um, <laughs> I, I will don't know say, how you were a white person of a certain age and you escaped the Partridge family. I'd like to meet you. I uh, I will say this movie did make me happy. I mean, in a time when like every, everything is not super in the world outside, this movie was very fun. And What a um, joy. What a bunch of humor that I think was desperately needed um, in this particular moment of time. Uh, so like, I yeah, this movie made me happy. Did it did it blow me away, especially coming after Infinity War? Is it designed no. to? No, it's not. This movie is just designed to make you happy. We'll talk about why this podcast, Kevin, it's designed to make people happy as well. I'm so happy to be getting back on the horn with you this week, Kevin. I hope people are happy to be getting back on board the MCU train with us. Sadly, not Thomas the Tank Engine. That train has left the station and remains in the first Ant-Man. But speaking of trains leaving the station, uh, we announced this uh, in We've announced this kind of in like bits and pieces over the past few days, but I'll I'll say it here on the Everything is Super podcast in case this is your first time hearing this news that post show recaps. We are uh, much like uh, much like Scott Lang and his buddies were days away from launching their own business in uh, over the course of the events of Ant-Man and the Wasp. We are just days away, Kevin, as of this recording from launching the post show recaps Patreon. 
The Poster Against Patreon's a thing. Woo! Yay! Please support us. Love us. I need validation in my life. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin needs validation. We have a very special validation for Kevin tier. Uh, it's just tears. That's all we need from you. We need to collect your tears, and we will send them to Kevin in a box. That is how Kevin will be paid from henceforth. Yes. No, that tier is not available, and we are ideally going to be paying <laughs> Kevin and all of our other hosts with money. Uh, we would love to be able to do that. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, if you've been enjoying the show, uh, if you've been enjoying this show or some of the others on the podcast network, Kevin, I don't know if you uh, can fathom this, but Post Show Recaps is turning in January seven years old. Seven oh. years is how long we've been uh, kicking around on Post Show Recaps. I don't like thinking about that. That's horrifying to me. <laughs> uh, has it been? Yeah. I got, that's just it's weird to think it's so long ago. I mean, you and I started our, I think the first time we recorded together was... Um, Five years ago. 2015. Yeah, 2015. 2015. I had just moved to Los Angeles. Um, and I was in my new apartment for like the first time. And we recorded our first episode of our Daredevil podcast for the mm-hmm. Netflix show that was about to launch. And we went back and watched the original Daredevil movie. Um, That's right. Yeah, that the original Everything is Super, but that movie was not. Um, <laughs> was back then. Yeah. Does that mean we're absolved from uh, doing the Daredevil movie at some point on Everything is Super, or we're going to just for completion have to take care of that? I think people can go back and watch that episode. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, But no, we've been doing this for a long time, and uh, we've been flirting with the idea of launching a Patreon for a couple of years now. We're finally doing it. We're really pumped about it. We've got a lot of fun stuff that's on offer. We're creating a patron-only podcast feed, which is going to be the home of a new weekly movie club podcast called Post Show Recaps Theater, in which myself and a rotating group of friends and guests, including the great Emily Fox. We're going to be talking about a different movie every week. It's going to be community-driven. That's going to be super, super fun. And we're going to have lots of other stuff that's just going to be popping up in that podcast feed. But Everything is Super is still going to be free of charge. Down the Hatch, The Lost Podcast, still free of charge. Many of these other shows uh, that we've been doing, uh, all of the shows that we have been doing are still going to be free of charge. There's just extra stuff that you can get should you choose to support us. We really hope you'll come along for the ride. We are launching this on October 1st. October 1st is when the Patreon is... Is going to launch. You'll be able to sign up at patreon.com slash post show recaps, or you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash patron. Pledge at whatever level is comfortable for you that you can afford, or don't if that is the level that you can't afford. You can't afford to pledge. That's totally fine for whatever reason. Um, we would love to have you on board. We're really pumped about it, but it is completely an optional thing. The podcast continues apace. Uh, so just wanted to get that news out there up front here. I know Kevin and I, we've been talking for a few months now about this, so uh, we're both really excited, and the rest of the host community, very excited to finally launch the post-show Patreon. Yeah, we've been talking about it for a while, and um, it's wild to think how long we've been talking about it. But to get to this point, this finally launching is really exciting and really cool. Um, definitely excited for the content we're putting out there, hoping to get to interact with some fans more, uh, and have them yell at my face, or, well, my yeah. digital face. Uh, well, we have, we have a... We have a, a Discord server, which is going to be a new community that we are launching for the Post Show Recaps patrons, which should be really interactive. I think it's going to be one of those things where we learn it as we go, all of us together. Uh, but I plan on hanging out in there myself quite frequently. Uh, so you will be able to basically directly like instant message us is basically how that is going to work and instant message each other, other listeners of the podcasts. Uh, it'll be a great community-driven thing. Um, not about the show community, though maybe at some point... I I don't know. I keep making that off 
hand reference. I've never watched Community. So that is a mistake. Uh, I just haven't done it. It's waiting for me. Maybe so we'll good. do some sort of community community watch. <laughs> <laughs> the community community watch maybe is a, a podcast that we can think about doing for the patrons. So uh, we'll we'll see how that all shakes out. Let's talk about Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, it's like when you go to a fancy restaurant, Kevin, remember those fancy restaurants? You'd go uh, to a fancy I restaurant. I don't, because I never went to fancy places. <laughs> I went to cheap places. <laughs> well, when fancy restaurants were a thing, you'd go, and you'd get, like, this really elaborate, like, 100-course meal, I believe, is uh, what they used to do. Uh, and then, like, in between courses 90 and 91, there would be, like, uh, or 90, 92, there'd be course 91, and course 91, after you had, like, a luscious roast goose was like a peach sorbet. It'd give you like a peach sorbet to like cleanse your mouth, cleanse your pout, calm you down, bring you back to reality so that you can be juiced back up with crazy flavors one or two dishes later. Uh, I think that that's how fa- fancy restaurants worked. I might be a little bit off on the numbers. Uh, at what point does Walter Goggins come out and talk to you in a weird accent <laughs> while Walton. you were doing that? Walton it's Goggins. Walton Goggins. Show, put some respect on that name, sir. Uh, it's Walton. Walton, Walton Goggins. Goggins. Yeah, sorry. My bad. Anyway, uh, Kevin, my analogy is uh, that Ant-Man and the Wasp is the peach sorbet of the, of the, of the 23-course Infinity Saga. Uh, it's a pout cleanser. It's very sweet, very light. You will feel no bloat. You will enjoy the sorbet. You may not think much about it afterwards. You might not even be thinking much about it while you're consuming it. But you're not unhappy to be consuming it. And in fact, there will be many moments where like, oh, that little sweet peach flavor. Quite like that. Yeah. That's Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's a delicious little palate cleanser between Infinity War and the Captain Marvel Endgame 2 punch. It's true, but like like um, between this and Captain Marvel, it's like for Infinity War, they served you half of a really delicious steak, and we're just like, okay, well, we're going to give you more steak. It's might taste actually better than the steak you had, but before we do that, here's some peach cobbler and another side of, uh, let's say... Uh, when we get there, maybe I can pit, pit, think of a better analogy of what a dessert. Maybe like some mochi. Um, just something pretty good. And you're just like, oh, yeah, this is delicious. But the entire time, you're also like, oh, man, but I'm going to get through this so I can get to that steak. Because that steak was really good. That's also, I think, part of it, right? Like, it's so weird. The pla- like, I don't know. This analogy is losing it. But the weird placement, in my opinion, of this film. A very fun <laughs> film. is so odd. Because, like, the entire time, you're just like, okay, this is fun. This is cool. But, like... Well, uh, remember how we saw everyone disappear and then at the end of this movie be like yeah that that thing like when we're still waiting for that huh we're still okay i get all right yeah all right we can we can get through this this is fine this is a nice tasty meal but like that steak though like <laughs> i feel like that's the weird yeah. part about this movie i think it's different now i think now i can really savor that cobbler it's like i went to the restaurant the first time right and i had a great experience and my views on the meal were like okay that that, that was a weird ordering but now that i've gone back a second time I'm like, I can enjoy this this peach cobbler because like I, I know what the steak is. I know how that's going to turn out and it's going to be really delicious. But there's no rush. There's no concern. Now I'm going to enjoy the taste and sweetness of this cobbler. And that's, I think, where I end up. <laughs> Long story short, too late, um, is that this was a I very say that, fun uh, movie. <laughs> somewhere in here, some, somewhere in here, that peach sorbet turned into a peach cobbler. And I'm not <laughs> mad about that. <laughs> 
Give me some of that sweet brown sugar granola crunch. Yes, that's my you nickname, know? brown sugar granola crunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm going to leave that right there. I'm not going to pick that up anywhere, Kevin. But I will. I I don't know if you can tell. I'm very hungry. It's about dinner time here as we're podcasting Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, so, But yeah, I, I think, look, I, I think at the time... Ant-Man comes out, you know, Ant-Man 2 comes out a couple of months after Endgame. And there's just like, there's the the raw shock of what happened in Infinity War, I, I should say. What happened in Infinity War, War at the end is several characters died for realsies, apparently. And then many other characters have been snapped away into dust. And we don't know how they're going to come back. But we can feel pretty sure that they will. Because... Marvel did not go through all of that to get Spider-Man from Sony just to dust him. You know, Although, Marvel didn't spend... What a move if, if they did. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty wild. Like, Marvel didn't, you know, spend all this time building up Black Panther just to dust that world. Like, that's not what's happening. Doctor Strange has been, like, Kevin Feige's, uh, you know, uh, one of his most desired projects. They didn't just dust that character for, for us to never see them again. And we also know that contracts are running up for many of the original Avengers. Uh, and, like, Marvel is now just, like, a, a money-printing, you know, factory at this point, And these people command and salaries that are probably higher than they'd like to pay. And some of these actors are also probably getting ready to just like move on with their lives and do different things. Uh, maybe come back someday, maybe not. So you know, based on the ending of Infinity War, that who we're left with is that essentially group of people that are most primed to move on. And the people who are quote-unquote dead are the people who are most primed to continue on. So while there is that instant shock that happens in infinity war and it lingers for a while the further away you get from that first viewing of infinity war now the 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 discourse moves away from how that movie made you feel to towards okay so what's going to happen next uh and feeling excited about that and feeling energized about that and the reason why like the stepping out scene in end game onto the battlefield is so satisfying is because it's the payoff of what all of your expert expectations were in like the year between Infinity War and Endgame, and somehow like all of your fan theorizing of what this could look like exceeded by like the grandeur and epicness of that moment. All of that is to say that Ant Man and the Wasp fitting in here between the two protein heavy entrees that we're talking about, the twin steaks, uh, it's it's totally totally fine for me to have something really light and sweet in the middle. Um, because you, by the time you're watching Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know that the tone that Ant-Man and the Wasp is going for is ultimately like the upbeat note that Marvel is going to be going for anyway. At the very least, the idea of like, Bad things will happen to people that you like and care about in these movies, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're going to continue making more movies with these characters. And here is a really happy family adventure about one of the the great families in the Marvel universe as it currently stands. And there's 
maybe like some some disjointedness about following up Infinity War with something just as sugary sweet as Ant-Man and the Wasp because I really love this movie but it's because it's a really light comedy it's just a great Paul Rudd vehicle for Paul Rudd to do his thing Michael Douglas eventually Lily is awesome as the Wasp um, is there really a bad guy in this movie is like something to to talk about or is like the antagonist more like the format of the movie it's a heist movie um, you know, it's it's really like kind of like that Elmore Leonard, like it's like a justified episode. It's more of a justified episode than a movie, uh, is what it, and not just because Walton Goggins is in this. It, it really does feel that way. And all of that is totally acceptable and totally fine for me because it serves, even in the real time, as a reminder of like, yeah, we're not we know you guys aren't idiots. We know that you know that Spider-Man's coming back. We know that you know Doctor Strange is gonna come back. We're just going to give you a little bit of Ant-Man right now to remind you that, hey, we're really fun here in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And B, Ant-Man's going to be important. You're going to want to really remember what Ant-Man's all about because he's going to be a pretty big deal one movie from now. Yeah, totally. And, you know, that's a really good point about what this movie, I think, does really well from a character and thematic standpoint. I will point out that I think what they do for Scott and Cassie in this movie is excellent. They do a lot, you know, despite all the other crazy stuff happening, to really delve into Scott and Cassie's relationship as, you know, father and daughter, their connection together, how important Cassie is to him. They have so much, like, fun doing their little maze heist at the beginning, uh, their conversations. So they really built that connection. And I do think because they did such a good job here, that moment in Endgame is so much more powerful and so much more heartbreaking um, this movie does a great job in terms of like the family parts of it. I think everyone, you know, it, it, it it's better than the first one. I think, you know, I, I thought this going in and I, I coming out of it, I definitely agree. I think it's better than the first one. Cause I think they do so much more work in terms of like utilizing the power in, in much more fun ways from growing and shrinking and turning Paul Rudd into a toddler sized human at one point. <laughs> um, that part was amazing. Uh, you have I laughed so, so hard, hard at that. So hard. And you have Evangeline Lily, who I think is so much better in this movie, because I think they gave her character so much more to do. Um, and you know, gave her a better hairstyle. Like, look at my hair, I'm that all matters, business. I know. Like yeah. that that moment. Although they, they lean into that, yeah, they yes, lean into that. They lean that into that in, well. in, in Luis's story so well. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, beyond that. Even as something as little as uh, having, you know, a big complaint in the first movie is that you have Bobby Cannavale and Judy Greer and you do nothing good with them in the first one except make them like shrew kind of mean people. And you're just like, oh, that sucks. They're such comedic. Like they're so such great comedic presences. And even in this, they turned them from that into actually just like also happy, supportive people. And it's shown through for me, for those characters who were barely in it to still be great i still like them in this i even like like you said that there is no real bad guy it feels like which is unfortunate because i think they do a good job with setting up ghosts in, a, in an interesting way and i really love ghosts you know ava and um and bill foster's relationship in this i think is really great i love that ending outcome for them so there's a lot of bits and pieces that were really fun and i think they really did an amazing job with especially coming out off of infinity war to give you that palate cleansing deliciousness that was just here's some comedy fun um but uh, that's the thing right when it's over like you said it's just like all right that was fun that was great um you know it, it left a wonderful taste uh but 
we're going to end up moving on in a very weird way. Um, but we get more of that, the, this character, of course, coming out of it. It's very odd for that reason. Like watching it was super enjoyable. Once it's over, it's just like, okay, cool. I guess we're going to be on to the next one now in a way that the other movies didn't feel like I was doing that with, if that makes sense. It does. I would. So, so what I would say in response to, to that line of thinking um, which I don't think is like your predominant feeling towards the movie, but like I think that that is like a predominant feeling towards the movie for people who are like fairly low on it. Um, that like it's like it just like doesn't really add up to much. Uh, it's just sort of whatever. I think they are overlooking a lot of very, 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 very gut bustingly, genuinely hilarious moments. Uh, first of all, this is this is a really funny movie. Uh, it is like Toddler Paul Rudd is incredible. Everything with Luis is incredible. The runner of It Is Truth Serum is really, really, really good. Um, There's just a lot of moments like that that are just like outstandingly funny. Paul Rudd uh, doing his uh, Michelle Pfeiffer impression. You know, there's just, there's a ton of of good in here. Even Michael Douglas when he picks up Paul, how was school today? Great. (laughs) So great. Do do you want a juice box? Are you serious? Do you You want want a juice box? Oh, he seems cranky. You need a nap? You know, it was just unbelievably very funny and incredible. Uh, And it's just such a charming movie. Uh, So if you you think that this movie just has no value, I just don't agree because this movie makes me really, really happy. And so on two fronts, uh, I I challenge the notion that this movie is just like totally whatever and forgettable. Um, The first one is we live in the darkest timeline and any excuse to get a really good belly laugh, I'm going to take. And Ant-Man and the Wasp is filled with them. It's it's loaded with uh, gut-busting laughter. I was watching this movie, and just wall-to-wall, I just had such a fun time. I was just so happy to be spending that much time with Paul Rudd. The second thing is, here in the darkest timeline, Kevin, we are now entering a place where, um, at the soonest, the Marvel Cinematic Universe will be absent from theaters for very close to two full years. Uh, It will be, I think, 22 months between Spider-Man Far From Home and Black Widow, which is coming out a full year after it was supposed to come out. And there's a whole conversation to have about that that I actually really don't want to have right now. Yeah, (laughs) now's not the time for this. I'm not in the mood. And it's not happening on the Ant-Man and the Wasp podcast. Do not at me. Um, But what would you prefer? Uh, in, in, would you rather a year with no Marvel movie or a year with Ant-Man and the Wasp? You know, like, I think that this is a movie that is, like, at a level that if this was, like, the one Marvel movie that came out in a year, um, certainly right now, like, if we were only able to get, like, one movie out to, like, Disney Plus or whatever right now, and it was of the quality of Ant-Man and the Wasp, I'd be really happy about that. I'd be very, very happy about that. So, I don't know. This movie makes me happy. It's got a lot of actors I really love. Walton Goggins' character is totally whatever, but I love Walton Goggins. So it's just fun for me to see him in another like heist context. Uh, that's the villain of the movie, Kevin, is just the chase. Yeah, I guess so, right? Because there's no, I mean, I don't know. It, 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 you know, during the Black Panther podcast, we talked about the definition of antagonist. And I don't even know if necessarily like, like I guess by the definition, maybe Wal- Walton Goggins. But like Ava and, 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 um, Bill Foster slash Goliath uh, are sort of against the heroes, but they have their own reasons. But like 
the heist is sort is it a heist there's, there's a lot that's the other thing i maybe it is like also what makes this movie weird is that it is just a comedy without like a real linchpin like villain slash um motivator that felt as strong as even the previous movie yeah. but like like walton goggins for me the only reason he exists in this film is a plot device to have the ending chase sequence that's it yes like there's yes. there's no other reason the character exists which is wild and weird um to have in the movie but again all of it presents like a lot of fun stuff to watch it felt very weird for that reason but like very enjoyable throughout and like I, you did bring up Luis, and i didn't mention him in my rant about the stuff that's great but absolutely the three amigos are so great when he starts uh when one of them starts bemoaning about baba yaga what a baba hilarious yaga. baba yaga so good yeah. like yeah. there's just comedic gold <laughs> talking, and, talking about john wick yeah <laughs> and you just have so much great stuff in there and like paul rudd is a great call out because like you know, in the similar way of Doctor Strange being odd as a movie because we're just like, we don't, like the origin story feels like it's holding, we want him to be the thing he's going to be because that's the version of the character we really like. The first movie was great and we got a little bit of Paul Rudd being Paul Rudd. This is full Paul Rudd. He is Paul yes. Rudding it all over the place. And we love Barfing it for cards. that. Yeah, it's, it's great though because it works so well because we like Paul Rudd and we like him as this just being Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. And so we got a lot more of it this time around. So I think again, turning it up, just skip origin stories from now on, I guess is the real moral of that. And we could have gotten this a lot sooner, but yeah, the card stuff is great because I also love close up magic, as you know, uh, as a huge fan of the magic castle. Uh, so that was great. Randall Park is in it and is so good. And it makes me so excited because I think he's going to be in WandaVision. Like, yeah, that's the, that's the news. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, there's so much, like you said, there's so many great actors and so many bit parts that I think work really well for this movie, despite its context. I guess that's the thing. This movie is really funny and really fun and super enjoyable, despite the context in which it exists in the broader sense of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. How about this? Sometimes you want a big feast. And other times you just want cotton candy. Sometimes you just want cotton candy. And cotton candy can be delicious if you make it right. And honestly, sometimes like cotton candy can be delicious even if you made it wrong. It is cotton candy. It's uh, just sugar. Wrong. It's just delicious you know? sugar. <laughs> uh, but this is like great cotton candy. It's total fluff, but it's really well-crafted fluff. Um, I think like to like across the board, I find these characters in this movie delightful. I'm trying to think of a character in this movie who I don't find delightful. The one that comes to mind is like the traitorous federal agent who just gets ghosted by ghost. Um, and that's barely a character. I'm inclined to appreciate the Walton Goggins character more than the average bear, specifically because of Justified. Because he was so great on that show. And anytime he shows up and does sort of like his, uh, his like bad guy pomp, the way that he kind of like puffs his chest out and just chews on dialogue, the way he spits out words. I'm just inclined to really enjoy his style. So I really love him in this, but I don't think that he's a good character, but I enjoy watching the character. I enjoy watching everybody. I love enjoy uh, Jimmy Woo. Great character. Incredible character. Um, Goliath. Great to have Goliath around. You got Lawrence Fishburne here. Lawrence Fishburne in the house. I, you know, maybe they'll do some more stuff with him. That could be fun. He's in the universe now. I love Lawrence Fishburne so much, and I did love him in this role. But I can never look at the character of Goliath with a straight face because in the comics, 
first of all, in the comics, his name was Black Goliath because of King Course it was. Uh, wow. And, and second of I all, I did not know that. Yep. Yup. And second of all, um, I just the one specific thing I remember about this character is that when Marvel Comics did Civil War, which was yeah, the original yeah. comic book version. S- spoilers for the spoilers Marvel Civil War comic Marvel book Civil War coming comic book. up. So skip ahead if skip that matters ahead, to you. 10 years old. But there yeah. was a whole marketing push campaign for various parts of it. And it was like in the I middle of the series. That, yeah, because if you were in comics at the time, it was such a ridiculous moment. They released this yeah. weird advertisement. And as a person from marketing, I'm just kind of like, what the? But anyway, they released this weird advertising, which is just like, in this issue, someone will die. And they do the thing where they show pictures of various characters, and you have uh-huh. like Sue Storm, you have like Tony Stark, you've got like all important these major important characters. major characters, yeah. and then you have one black Goliath, or I'm just going to call him Goliath, because at that time, I think they dropped the black part of it, um, yeah. but the, and then Goliath. And anyone looking at this poster is just like, so Goliath, right? Oh, they're going to kill Goliath, and right? Then sure and enough, then they, <laughs> he doesn't, dies. Doesn't like, doesn't like Thor punch a hole through him or something Robot like that? Thor, ro- because Robot it was, Thor. Or Robot right, clone Thor right. uh, uses yeah, lightning right. and shoots a lightning bolt through him and kills him. Yeah. And it's just one yeah. of these things where I'm just like, why did they think this this ad was a good idea? How did they assume no one, like anyone would think otherwise than, than Goliath <laughs> would die? Like there's so much there about it. And that's the, that's the, I will have that memory forever of like fucking comics. Just <laughs> like. <laughs> Do we think uh well well is Goliath alive in the comics now? Do we know? No, I think he's been dead since. <laughs> they haven't even resurrected Goliath. Come on, guys. Yeah, I think they uh, they've resurrected Banshee who was dead for a long time. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. but well, everyone not. comes back eventually. Yeah, He'll Banshee got hit by the by the X-Jet. That's how he died. He got hit oh, yeah. by the X-Jet. I remember. I remember. It was a tough <laughs> it was a tough trip home. Uh for 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 Banshee. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was God. trying to remember his name. Sean, Sean, Sean Cassidy. Sean Cassidy. Sean Cassidy. Sean Cassidy. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, but I love I love Lawrence Fishburne show. Like uh, sometimes I guess it really just depends. Like sometimes I get mad at uh, a movie of this size bringing in a big time actor and uh, just like having them for like kind of like a role that's a little bit of a waste. Uh, like I know we talked about this with the first Ant Man and like your feelings on Bobby Cannavale and for me it's like I'm just I kind of love him in this role and especially in Ant Man and the Wasp where he's just like come here you like I love that like both him and Judy Greer are just like so accepting of Scott at this point and that they're all just like so happy with the family and everything like that. And even like the limited use of Lawrence Fishburne as Bill Foster. I just love the idea of like, I don't know, I think having a a very familiar actor in that capacity as somebody who comes from the Michael Douglas era of uh, superheroism um, from from the Hank Pym school. Um, Like it helps. Like now you've got like him. You've got you've got Hank. You've got Bill. Like you can place Peggy Carter there. Howard Stark. Like it's just like fun kind of like headcanoning some of that stuff. So I, I really like Lawrence Fishburne in that role. I hope that they do more with him eventually. Uh, I hope it's not just one and done. It might be. Um, but, uh, you know, this is just like one of a couple of characters. Ghost is really hyped up as the bad guy of the movie. And I think for our official rankings, we're just ranking Ghost, even though she's not like she's somebody who's just been through through hell and back. And I really love the performance of this character. And I really lo- love the take on this character, because I think that the and you can you can check me on this. My understanding of Ghost as a character from Marvel Comics 
is that ghost is typically a man, but yes. I think that ghost has never ghost's ghost's identity has either uh, always been shifting or has just never even been revealed at all. Uh, I know that it's like it's pretty tight. It seems like, um, and ghost is typically like a corporate a corporate espionage uh, like assassin, basically. Yeah, my um, biggest familiarity with ghost was from the Thunderbolt comics uh, when ghost was a part of that. I believe like right before um, the Norman Osborn took taking over. Uh, <laughs> the the Marvel Universe uh, era, um, but yeah, I I don't remember if if the, the character's identity has been revealed, and I'm certain someone with a you know hardcore Marvel Comics history buff is going to come at me on that one. Um, but yeah, usually a guy and like a, a definitely a bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. Like I don't remember Ghost ever being like as ambiguous as this as having such would, a, a tragic story would twirl would twirl a mustache should a mustache exist beneath the mask you know like that is that is what ghost is like in the comics to my memory of that character um but i think like it's like a character that is probably uh coolest for its design and power set uh and so it makes that a character that is really easy to adapt in a way that you can um uh place some interesting new ideas about family and identity onto and what pain means. Uh, and I think that ghost in, in this movie becomes a really cool vessel for those ideas. Uh, the idea that like, she's just in constant, constant physical agony, right? Like she's just being like, uh, atomized and re-atomized daily. Uh, it's just like such a hardcore concept. And I think that the movie does a really good job of, at least for me, like really feeling, uh, a lot of empathy for that character. I think when, when it comes to rating her, like it's a hard one to rate because I don't think she's a great bad guy. Uh, like she's somebody who, like I can imagine in Ant Man three or even like a future Avengers movie, being someone who like they could utilize. They have this character in the universe now. She's a really cool character. She has a really cool look. She's got a great backstory. With her comes more Lawrence Fishburne, so bring them both back, please. Uh, like I, I think that they have a lot of potential that they can do with her, and sort of like, uh, kind of like a, a maybe like the shorthand way of saying it would be like sort of like a Nebula type of arc. I think is something that they can do with her. Um, so I, I really like the character. It's just like not really a bad guy, like a force of antagonism because there's you know, a lot of people with conflicting agendas. If there's an antagonist, Kevin, I think it's like the ticking clock of we got to get Janet now. Uh, and all of these other people want my thing that is preventing me from getting Janet. And it's really like if the, if the clock strikes midnight, we're toast. Yeah. So it's really like the, it's the format of the movie that I think is the bad guy more than anything. No, I think you're totally right. Like knowing that they only have a little time to get Janet and things keep getting in the way the the, the ticking clock becomes the, the, the main villain. And I do think, you know, part of the strength of, the phase three that we've talked about is how well they've done the villains of how well they've made some of the villains um, sympathetic and under, you know, you, you can, you can empathize with them and you can understand them. And I think they may have done too good of a job with ghost in this in that we totally understood her, but because she wasn't the main antagonist, we didn't connect with her as much as we could in terms of like, how do we, you know, how do we feel about her as, as a villain? Um, So I think that that is the misstep there for that character. Cause like, yeah, the character's like compelling. There's, if you rewrite it without the Walton Goggins component and like you just lean harder into it being a tug of war between two sides, it's the Ant-Man squad and it's the ghost and Goliath squad. Yeah. I think you could have really done a lot more of that character and made her possibly even higher than she ends up being, I think on, on the list of stuff. Um, but I, I, you know, that all said, I do think, yeah, the power set's really interesting. I do appreciate that they did not go too long with the, like, 
oh, ghost is like you ghost. Check out this this person as ghost, and then they think it's a guy, and then reveal it's a girl. Like they didn't do that with this. I'm really tired of that trope. Like the Samus Aran of it all for Metroid. Like that's yeah. that's the origin of this trope basically, and I'm over it. Just just yeah, it, 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 we don't have to be surprised that it's the that it's a female character. We're like like let, let's let's just make that be a standard now, guys. It's okay. Um, but you know that all said, and I you know I I, I am I am loath to say this too, but like I will say that the actress does a phenomenal job in that role where that was given, and also like I remember being in the theater and when the the mask did come off though, and I saw the actress for the first time, she is stunning. Like it was mm-hmm. definitely a moment of Kevin being taken aback by someone being insanely stunning. Um, but yeah, and 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 I, like I said, I really like what they did with her and Bill Foster. I thought that relationship was great. This this movie is very much about like fathers and daughters, and you know parents and their kids and everything. And it really, I like at the ending, it wasn't that either one was going to betray the other in a terrible way or break break apart. I like that Bill refused to leave her and is there to help her. Um, I thought that was really touching and really well done. And I think Lawrence Fishburne did you know a great job conveying that, even though the character didn't have a lot to do. I think Lawrence Fishburne is so talented and his chemistry with Ava was so good that they were able to like pull that off and have it still be feel like, you know, you, you, they still felt impactful despite the fact that we weren't with these characters for that long. I think maybe another crime of the existence of the Walton Goggins storyline. Again, I love him. So I enjoy him when he's on screen, but maybe the movie is better uh, and like actually pops more is or i don't know i think maybe it could take away from the comedy of it um but is there a version of this kevin where you know this is ant-man and the wasp and like the the most obvious way in which this is ant-man and the wasp is that like finally evangeline lily and hope van dyne get to don the costume and she gets to kick ass and she's really the bruiser of the two uh and she's super awesome in that role and as a lost nerd obviously very happy for evangeline lily um is this movie improved if there is more janet van dyne is there too little janet van dyne we don't it's a it's huge casting michelle pfeiffer as janet van dyne is is really cool even though i know a lot of people were sad that it wasn't Catherine zeta jones so we could just keep michael douglas and Catherine zeta jones together that'd be fun um but michelle pfeiffer is an enormous superstar uh and yet she's like in it for a few minutes um is it just too little of her i think maybe a little bit i think it is in especially because our connection to like the like that's the other thing the need to save janet is very much these characters wanting to feel that way and they're telling us about it and we get it because it's 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 you know hope's mom um but in terms of the audience connecting to that it's less because we we only got really introduced to her like as Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie at the very beginning. And so to have this be the ticking clock, to have that be the countdown, right? That be, be the antagonist and villain. They're rushing to save someone that the audience only really connects with because the characters are telling us how important that person is. That becomes a problem, I think, narratively for 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 hooking us. I, I, I really love Michelle uh, Pfeiffer, Catwoman, OG, like, well, not OG, sorry, uh, Eartha Kitt. There was Lee Merriweather. There's a lot before that, but of my era of, of moon, having yeah, watched, of, of watched yeah. Batman, you know, Batman returns Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. Like 
Should they have uh, cast Sean Young as Janet Von, uh, Van Dyne instead of Michelle Pfeiffer? Uh, rumor had it that Sean Young did show up uh, in a wasp hand-built <laughs> yeah. costume. Um, but no, wow, he, we are we are old. All of us who understood that. Yep. Reference. Anyone who got that reference, we you are we old. Are old. Um, we are old. But like I, you know, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I liked her in this. I wish we did get more of her. This also fell prey to I think. Something that Aquaman did, where it's just like the actress that you knew from the from like from an older mood, like older generation, is going to be in this movie, and you won't see her for a while. And when she shows back up, you'll see her young. She'll show back up. She's older now, but she's wearing the armor she used to wear, which is or the costume, and now it's like it's a very, very much a thing that happened literally at the same time. So it's very odd. Um, and also, they both have white hair now. Like, just there's so much crossover weird tropism on that one, but. Uh, yeah, I just, I wish there was more to help us connect to her better. So we really, that counting clock felt a little more impactful. Um, that said, uh, yeah, she's Michelle Pfeiffer, man. Like just, she's great. That does a lot of work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I think that does a lot of work for it is like, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. So you already like have a lot. Uh, invested like they gotta save Michelle right like you know <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and uh and then you know um there's there's the oddness of having her and Hank connect in the quantum realm and this is gonna get weird into the other part of this movie that I think is odd is that the science makes no sense because she when she meets Hank in the quantum realm she has aged, as mentioned, so she is about as old as Hank is. But they sort of establish an endgame that when you're in the quantum realm, time doesn't move as fast. So he was only in the realm for a short period of time, whereas five years had passed in the real world. So how are Janet and Hank around the same? Like, there's a lot there that doesn't make sense. Why does the building need to be big in order for her to come back out? They really never delve into that besides saying, like, that's what needs to happen to add an extra element. Like, I think if you delve that into this movie a little bit more, the science of it more than any other superhero movie, I think becomes really wonky and weird and nonsensical. And I don't know why this one specifically, but it does. So there's that aspect of it all. But yeah. um, But, you know, again, like it's weird to like criticize all that stuff because like at the same time you're watching it and there's a giant Hello Kitty Pez dispenser flying through the air (laughs) at a guy in a motorcycle. And that's really cool that the him, them having that like Hot Wheels to like toy kit and it's all the cars they can shrink and grow is fantastic. That's such awesome use of the power. Like I love that stuff. The giant salt shaker, like all the stuff of the power usage was so much fun in this movie. Um, Way more than I think even in the first movie, as much as I love that ending fight sequence i think this one took it to the level of just all the action sequences are that now i think the action scenes in this movie are solid across the board and just like fun you know they're just like fun caper things like i think when you stack them against a lot of these other scenes in the marvel cinematic universe um i don't know i think i would take most of this above most of the phase one stuff like short of first avenger and the first avengers um you know i think that they've they've upped their game in this regard um i think it could be you know it's i think iron man 3 like certainly the final battle i'll probably have that higher than the final battle in this which is you know the final battle in this i think is just pretty average but fun right Uh, but not like but not like fun and stand out the way that the final battle was in the first one 
Yeah, and the final battle here is barely a final battle. It's more like the final chase sequence, right? Because it is yes. that's, that's really what it's all about, which is very different. And I commend them like in a similar way of Doctor Strange doing maybe something that's what different. This is. is this a chase movie? It, it, I think that's maybe more like make more sense, right? It's a MacGuffin movie. Everybody's chasing after the same thing and trying to get to it before the other people do. So I think that's I mean, maybe it's kind more of right. Like, it's like it's like a romancing the stone, you know. It's like a <laughs> it's, you know for for Michael Douglas, like it, it it's like a little bit of that. It's like these like you know the the co leads who are like a, a little bit of a will they won't they on some sort of adventure to find a thing and protect a thing. Um, like that's the movie. It's it's sort of classic in that way. Uh, like not especially exciting, not exactly like reinventing the wheel, but like I, I like I feel like it's underselling it by calling a competently made version of that. I think it's like a really well made version uh, of a movie that has a, a pre existing blueprint. Yeah, 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 and I, I, that's what some of these Marvel movies have ended up being, right? We've talked about superhero movies recently gearing towards like being more um, a chase movie that's also superheroes a, a western that's also superheroes or whatever and i think maybe this does fall in, into that category um of the adventure chase sequence right like romancing the stone if you will or you know um what was it river nile or whatever uh, uh the other one that they uh, did jewel jewel of the jewel nile, nile um yeah. you know like so like maybe more along those lines although at, at that sense you know they did the wrong casting for Janet Van Dyne, unfortunately, but that's fine. Um, what's something that Who's I... Who's that? Kath- Kathleen Turner, right? I think it's Kathleen Turner. Um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> that would have been great. The, something we didn't mention, actually, that is actually at the top of this movie that, that uh, I wrote down is um, Paul Rudd is very clearly all of us in quarantine, right? Like that opening sequence of him entertaining himself has hit, yeah. has hit a lot yeah. harder now yeah. because that's just us, like all of us, like ooh, how do we keep ourselves entertained in the yeah. mad world that we're living in right now? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I really love that sequence. Makes It, it truly does make me happy. Uh, Kevin, uh, I want to talk about something that like, we haven't really talked about too much because mostly we've been talking about movies that have like answers to the things that they're setting up. So that is sort of like the territory that we're going towards. But now we can start talking a little bit more about what like sequels to some of these movies are going to look like. There's, go- there's, there's going to be an Ant-Man three that's announced. Yes. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Peyton Reed once again, returning um, and I think that there is a lot of speculation around this one. Um, there is some casting. Uh, Jonathan Majors of uh, Lovecraft Country, uh, the other podcast that Kevin and I podcast about here on Post Show Recaps alongside the legendary Latanya Starks, uh, has allegedly been cast to play a Marvel Comics character, uh, a Marvel Comics villain, an iconic one named Kang the Conqueror, who is often associated i think with uh the avengers but often associated with the fantastic four and importantly associated with uh the young avengers uh and i think that there's a lot of speculation that marvel will one day unleash the young avengers and for those who do not know who the young avengers are they are the avengers but young no it's not (laughs) quite muppet it's not quite muppet babies it's not like the muppet babies version of the avengers it is like um like uh people who are like either connected to members of the avengers or aren't but have like kind of like code names and associations that are sort of similar like there's who are some of the characters there's wiccan there's wiccan uh, there's speed hulkling um iron lad uh who will be important to the king to conquer part um uh um 
What is Kaz, Ho- Cassie's there's a, there, name? There's, there's a hawk. There's, there's a hawk there, girl. There's a hawk man. Hawkeye. Sorry, there we go. There's a hawk. Um, there's a hawk guy. There's Mrs. America. Mrs. I America, and there is a, and a Cassie. Cassie. Cassie Scott Lang's uh, stature. Yeah, da- a daughter is um, the the giant grow person in that yes. in that crew. Which is yes. this movie? So yeah, I'm, uh, this is this is wild because that that casting brings up so many things that like made stuff make a lot of sense to me and then also just raises a little more questions because you know cassie in this movie talked about oh being here like oh is is she gonna take over as 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 his as his sidekick and it's like no it's the wasp and all that stuff but now we know cassie when he comes back is a teenager the right age to be young avengers they introduced the kid from uh iron man 3 as a teenager now at the end of Endgame. there's and 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 extremely importantly, WandaVision. WandaVision is also setting up the possibility of introducing Speed and Wiccan. Um, so there's a lot here that was like Young Avengers could be a thing. Then you throw in the wrench slash linchpin of Kang the Conqueror, and you could have very well have a Young Avengers thing happen because Kang the Conqueror is Without essentially it, very important. Very important, but like he is a time traveling supervillain. Yes. And when you have a sequence like this now where you have these people set up that could be possible Avengers in the future and you have a time traveling villain, there's a lot that can play into this. And now you have things with multiverses, you have things with divergent realities that they've already been teasing. And I really feel like, oh, the idea of Kang the Conqueror totally makes sense as a big villain that could really bring together what the next iteration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be. That said... I am sort of stupefied that they are introducing a possible major villain of the MCU in the third Ant-Man movie. I know that's I know to me. I don't I I'm kind of stunned. But even beyond that, there's another part. But let's before we get to the second half of of what came to conquer could mean. I definitely want to hear your thoughts on this part of it, on the Ant-Man part of it and on the time travel Young Avengers part of it. Yeah, so I I think that so Peyton Reed directs the Ant Man movies, uh, and Peyton Reed famously, if you're like a comic book movie nerd, uh, was was trying to direct the Fantastic Four when the Fantastic Four was at Fox, uh, and he had like a vision for them in the 1960s and everything, uh, and so he's he has long had uh, a great interest in those characters, and I think. Probably like when you go back a year plus to one of the podcasts that you and I did, Kevin, when we were doing just like some of the pre everything is super just random Marvel schmoozing that we used to do. Uh, I'm sure that we got into the idea of like um, Ant-Man and the like the Ant-Man and the Wasp movies could be a really great way to introduce the Fantastic Four because you not only have Peyton Reed as somebody who is affiliated with that franchise and really has an affinity for it, um, but also it really fits thematically with the Ant-Man universe in terms of like the ideas of family that are that are at play in the Ant-Man movies, um, the idea of uh, certainly in the second one, being a movie about going and like recovering somebody who is lost. Uh, there is a great Fantastic Four story, uh, or at least a memorable Fantastic Four story that takes place inside the quantum realm, that takes place inside the microverse. Uh, so there have been theories that the Fantastic Four are trapped in the quantum realm, that they've already existed, that they're somewhere already out there. So there's a lot of ways that you could imagine that fitting as an introduction into the MCU via the Ant-Man characters. But there's also this very 
compelling argument that the Young Avengers could be a group of characters that are introduced in an Ant-Man movie, not just because they are really affiliated with Kang the Conqueror, who is this time-traveling villain who, yeah, let's talk about the implications of that in a minute, uh, especially as it relates to Fantastic Four, um, but there's Cassie and the fact that Cassie... Scott's daughter is now like 16 years old or something like that. Um, she is in the exact age range to be stature. Uh, this movie sets up her desire to be a hero in that regard. Um, we have WandaVision coming out, which could introduce Young Avengers, as you say. We've got the Hawkeye show that's going to introduce, uh, I believe, like the casting rumor, if it's not confirmed yet, has been Haley Steinfeld for that, uh, to play Kate Bishop, who's going to be a Hawkeye successor. Um, there's the Loki show, Kevin, uh, that Loki is going to be a TV show. And in, in the comics, Loki becomes a, a kid for a little while. Kid Loki uh, and Kid Loki is a part of the Young Avengers. So there's a lot of reasons, I think, to assume that the Young Avengers are coming and that Ant-Man and the Wasp could be a good vehicle for that. I think, Kevin, that Ant-Man and the Wasp could be a great vehicle to bring all of those things into into the Marvel Universe. I think that the third Ant-Man movie could bring both the Fantastic Four and the Young Avengers in some capacity into the MCU. And I think it would fit because the Ant-Man movies have like been sort of like these stealth bombers of dropping really important things into the MCU. Ant-Man ends up being one of the most important movies in the MCU, and especially Ant-Man and the Wasp, because this introduces the quantum realm in a much more vivid way. So the first one is this really small movie that introduces this really big, small concept of the quantum realm. The second movie is this uh, movie that introduces, uh, that explores the quantum realm and introduces this very complicated idea of time travel that's going to be essential to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Avengers Endgame. So the third movie could be this thing that now has time travel at its disposal, and the implications of that can only be huge. So much like Scott Lang, the Ant-Man franchise could very naturally just be getting bigger. Uh, and I, I think that a third Ant-Man movie will have this compelling task at its uh at its hands of being a movie that is going to have to introduce some really important new components or at least is swinging to introduce some important new comp- components whether it's just kang forget the the young avengers and fantastic four already by introducing kang they're biting off one of the major Avengers villains and somebody who reportedly is going to be a big deal in the MCU moving forward. So it's already taking a big chunk out of a big picture idea. I think that the challenge is how does Ant-Man as a, as a film franchise take on such a big amount of food just because we keep talking about food uh, while still being the Ant-Man movies, because the Ant-Man movies have this level of intimacy. Is there a way to both swing for the fences with some really big picture ideas and maintain the intimate qualities of the Ant-Man movies? I think that Marvel's work just generally would tell us that, yes, that is not only possible, but highly achievable. We just haven't really seen it in the Ant-Man movies because they're not transcendent. They're very good. They're very fun. They haven't done like major important work internally within the context of the end scope of their own like films as a unit, 
right? Um, it sounds like the third Ant-Man movie is going to aim for that. That's very exciting to me. Um, I'm really, really excited about the possibilities of this next Ant-Man movie. See, I'm... I think that's crazy to me. Like, maybe... Like, to me, the Ant-Man movies are fun, they're great, they're entertaining, but they're also the Ant-Man movies. They're not the most successful of the Marvel films. They're very odd in their tonality. To introduce such a major... And again, for all we know, it could be two seconds of it. He just shows up, and he's like a weird presence showing up in the movie. Like, he shows up for a second in Shang-Chi. He shows up a second in Ant-Man 3. He's just a presence leading up to a bigger moment. But, like, Ant-Man to introduce such an important character, such a linchpin possibility to the grander Marvel universe in its third edition of it is crazy. And either Marvel, again, thinks that it doesn't matter. People are just going to go see our movies regardless, and this will become a big blockbuster. If it's called Ant-Man and the Fantastic Four or Ant-Man and the Young Avengers, that movie's making tons of money. Sure, if they do that, right? And and they very well could. Um, but I think, like, it's... it's, it's Peyton Reed has done a great job. I would be like, I'm just like, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess give, give him this, the, the keys to this kingdom. But like, to me, that's such a gutsy move. Um, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I, and I'm not against any of it. It just seems like so wild and crazy and weird to do that. Um, that said, you know, like tying into the other half of it, talking about the fact like, yes, Ant-Man introduced a huge concept, which is, of course, time travel. And you can absolutely see with everything that happened in Endgame and all the chicanery that's going on. You have this time traveling person show up and be like, what did you all just do? Like, you know what I mean? Like cause something to like have this guy show up at this particular point in time after they all mucked around with the time stream enough. So that totally makes sense. And now the biggest part of it, the part that we have danced around a little bit and if this might be a possible spoiler so if you are worried about what kang is and who kang is and how he ties into the stuff that we've been talking about we've mentioned fantastic four if you don't want to know that i suggest you skip over this part right now and and also to to preface this because i i feel like i know where you're going is that kang's origins in the comics are like really convoluted yes. and there's like a, a bunch of different possible explanations for who kang is and Hence how why kang i said the became. possibility <laughs> mm-hmm. so like this is all like speculative marvel comic book nerdery that is about to come but the potential implications of it are are huge, huge. so worth worth digging into and i know that since the news of jonathan majors getting cast as kang was announced you and i have been excited to talk about this and i i feel like this is the proper venue for that is is because he's going to be in an ant-man movie right so that said here we go one of the possible connections that uh kang to conquer has to uh, the fantastic four is the revelation i think relatively recently that he is the father of reed richards um, which would be huge. Mr. Reed Richards is Mr. Fantastic. He is one of the four four main members of the Fantastic Four, alongside Invisible uh, Woman, Human Torch, and the Thing Ben Grimm. Um, having this character introduced opens up the world of possibility of the Fantastic Four being introduced, and to me, most importantly, the fact mm-hmm. that Jonathan Majors is cast in this role means that there is a high probability then that Fantastic Four can be a black-led cast, which would be huge and awesome. I mean, we were just, you know, uh, the timing of this I'll have to see, but Josh, you and I have just guessed it on a separate podcast um, that delved into uh, sitcom territory, and we talked about a black character that is a super genius 
Uh, Must have seen TV is, is the name correct. of the podcast. Kevin and I will be appearing on uh, an upcoming episode that you'll be able to listen to. So seek out Must Have Seen TV. Uh, Kevin and I spent almost two hours talking about Steve Urkel. Correct. Uh, check out, watch the Family Matters episode, Steve-El, from season eight. And then get ready for the Must Have Seen TV episode hosted by Brett White that Kevin and I were on. We had a very, very good time. We had an amazing time. But that is the perfect example of like, it'd be so exciting to have a black character like that on on TV. Like, you know, during that podcast, I mentioned that you don't get, you know, a black character is essentially the smartest person in the universe. Um, So to have that here in the MCU would be huge and incredible. Um, so the implications of the, of this casting is huge and the possibility of where it could lead is massive. But again, it is crazy to me that it's the third Ant-Man movie mm-hmm. in which they might do this. And maybe it's because it's the only real next sequel sequel that we're going to have. Cause like, you know, it's unfortunate as it is black Panther is currently trying to have to figure out what they want to do next. Uh, guardians three is not going to be for a minute. Uh, Thor Ragnarok is coming, but that was uh, not Ragnarok. Uh, Love and Thunder Thunder. is coming, but that is going to be its own thing for sure. Uh, Or could be a possible Kang thing to introduce the old gods again. Um, So this is sort of the only real option in terms of like a crossover, uh, a carryover from the previous iteration of the MCU into the new that they could do this with. Um, So like maybe that's the reason, but what a weird choice. So so let me be Ant-Man. Let me try and frame it in the context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's own history, though, Kevin. Um, The first two Thor movies are among the worst movies in the entire pantheon of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then the third Thor movie is currently uh, a lead contender for the best (laughs) movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, And those Thor movies are worse than Ant-Man is with its first two movies. With all of the lessons and all of the world building that has been done since even Ant-Man and the Wasp, is it possible that a similar leap could be done if it is such a a different movie than the first two movies, but has these characters, has this heart, can treat this as like like a landing point, basically, for characters like the Fantastic Four and the Young Avengers so that they can then springboard off from the Ant-Man franchise and lead their own franchises and stuff like that. Sort of how Black Panther appears in Civil War. Sort of how some of these past Marvel movies have set up characters who've then become vital characters moving forward. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. And in fact, the history of the MCU has a path in which that happens. Except there's one difference, Josh. And again, nothing against the you know uh, director of Bring It On, but... They that's they, wow. I, they, should I edit in a, a smack noise? They they <laughs> the, just the Thor movies put wow. in Taika for Ragnarok. There was a massive directorial change to put in to change the ship direction of that franchise. And this is still gonna be pay and redo. And again, nothing against pay and read. The movies are good, but they're not. I just I, there's not been enough evidence to me to see that. The third Ant-Man and Wasp is going to, or Ant-Man movie is going to be so groundbreakingly different as to handle something like this. And again, happy to be proven wrong. Happy to be proven wrong. Happy this is happening. Um, but it's just to me, as a literal nobody making a dumb comment on the internet <laughs> because that's what we do on the internet. It is Peyton a Reed Twitter is coming. Strange for you, man. choice uh, is nah. all I'm saying. 
Sure, it's an uh, it's it's an odd choice. Uh, it is not, it is not um, you know it is not conventional, but um, I'm excited about it. I Peyton Reed strikes me as a very intelligent filmmaker with a real genuine love for these characters. Certainly, when it comes to the Fantastic Four, he's been thinking about them forever. As it comes to Ant Man, he was a very late hire. He came in to save a movie uh, and do his his absolute best uh, coming in with like no time at all. Uh, I think that he ups himself here with Ant-Man and the Wasp in a movie where given its positionality in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like literally deliberately intended as nothing more than like muscle relief. You know, this is like the the uh, like the tiger bomb of Marvel movies. This is like the arnica of the MCU. You just rub it on like your sore muscle and then you try and keep marching on towards the big stuff. Um, and to to after like doing that, um, give him a spot where he gets to take a really big crack. I just think that we could be in for a really big surprise with the ability. It's a it's a curious choice, but there is a a, a very established, probably like highly respected working relationship between Kevin Feige and Peyton Reed after Peyton came in and more than competently uh, salvaged Ant-Man to the best of his ability, came up with a really rollicking good time of a comedy here in Ant-Man and the Wasp with great visuals. Like the visual language of this movie, I think is really exceptional. Um, I love the quantum, the quantum realm. I really love the, the effects on ghost and like the lingering uh, looks on ghost. Um, I, I love the size stuff. So I, I think that like, I, I think that he is somebody that that Marvel Studios trusts because they have two movies worth of rapport. And this has been a guy who has been able to do what he's done with really tough circumstances that I think that they believe in him as somebody who can who can take a, a shot at this. And I think on top of that, the Ant-Man franchise has a cast that is worthy of um of of being the like the air support for something this big. I think that it's got Paul Rudd, it's got Michael Douglas. They are legends. They've got Evangeline Lilly, she's terrific. They've got Michael Peña who is incredible. Imagine just imagine the world in which Michael Peña and the thing are hanging out. So like I think not just the filmmaker but the cast here they are all above and beyond ready to be at the center of a big event style Marvel movie. So I'm all for the idea of Ant-Man three being a gigantic, a gigantic movie. And I can't imagine that it would be a gigantic mess. I think, it, I think it's going to be great. That's my think, hot take is I think Ant-Man three is going to be like a top tier Marvel movie. I, okay. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's, it's going to be a hot mess. My one last statement on on the, on it because I don't want to spend a whole time being like Peyton Reed, you're 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 a fine director, you're fine. Um, but is very much this. This is a movie, muscle relaxer or no? It is still a movie that was constructed and had a duty to tell a story and have a compelling antagonist and everything else it has a strong cast. Sure. Look at where it lands on our ranking. You have a person who still made this movie. And then where it lands in our ranking, which we're about to get to, is not going to be within the top five. And I probably don't think it's going to be within the top ten from where we I know that you and I have ranked it. So it's just one of those things where, yes, I understand what you're saying. But to do this with a movie and a franchise that the best one of the two is still not cracking a high spot is you're putting one hell of a bet. 
on, yeah. on, 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 you're, you're betting it all yeah. on black and let's hope that that pays out when that roulette wheel stops. Yeah. Is all I'm sure. saying. I, th- I think that's totally fair. I think that's totally fair. Let's live dangerously is my response. Well, we might not have much longer to do so, so we might as well do you it know. now. <laughs> let's roll the dice. Let's see where we land. Uh, let's see where we land with the Infinity Stone rankings. I think that's a good segue. Uh, Kevin, you and I are both a 4.5 on Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, despite so everything we that, said. We, for all of that, we really, we really like it. I, I was a 4.3 on Ant-Man. Uh, so for me, like I, for me, it's like splitting hairs a little bit as to which one I like more. I just really enjoy these movies. I just have a lot of fun with these characters, and I think everybody does a really good job. I think that this is just a funnier movie. I think it has uh, it doesn't have a scene that is as impressive as the final battle of Ant-Man, um, but it's just fun. It's just wall-to-wall fun for me, so it'll be very close to where I had the original Ant-Man for sure. But it's a full point higher for you than the original Ant-Man. Yeah, I just think they did a lot more um, for this movie. You know, The comedy especially, like I mentioned, the actors I think all sh- shine through. I think all the actors had great moments. The pivots they made for certain characters I think were for the benefit. Randall Park, as we mentioned, being addition in here. I thought that the villains were handled a little bit better. Um, well, the villain was handled a lot better, I think, but still didn't have enough to really push it into the upper echelon of the previous villains that we had. And to me, I did think that this movie ultimately was better than I think I, I looked back at my own rankings better than anything I ranked in phase one, except uh, the OG Avengers. So and I think that is true. I think obviously you're you're two phases later and they've learned a lot since. So I think in that way, it, it stands above. But it's still look at the streak we've had recently. We've had a streak of sixes. And so like even like a four point five is very, is very good score. But it's also a point and a half lower from everything we've ranked in the last sure. like, couple weeks. 100%. And I think it's totally, totally fair uh, for it to be that much lower. And I think that like a bunch of those sixes, we would break the scale if we felt we could. Um, the audience is uh, almost a full point behind us. Uh, a 3.6 for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And in fact, that average is lower than the original Ant-Man, wow. uh, which uh, has an audience average of 3.7. So there's been a couple of times where we've been like, really out of sync with the audience uh we're really in sync at the top we're pretty in sync at the bottom uh and then there's like a little bit of like a mid-tier where we're just like a little bit out of rhythm uh and that's where it is with ant-man the wasp but our higher scores plus the audience average gives it a 4.2 total which is uh you know relatively significantly above avengers age of ultron and it is just a hair underneath iron man 3 which is a 4.21 we had to make it uh that that distinct um so ant-man and the wasp is landing in at number 13 on our rankings and i'm not surprised i think that that is you know it is maybe higher than i expected in fact i think that's that's how we're doing right like if you look at what the audience would have said which is again another reason if you're looking at the audience sure (laughs) sure to put you know the risk there but i think that's the right place for it to be i mean i think it makes sense it's almost it's it's upper middle right like that's 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 a good place for this movie we're closer on the bad guy, who's the ghost, Ava. Uh, you and I are both a 3.5, and the audience is a 3. Uh, so a 3.34, and that's going to put Ava at number 14 of 24 villains. She is smack dab between the Red Skull and Obadiah Stane. Oh my god, I his box Obadiah Stane's that high, but that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, post-credits rankings. Uh, I think you and I are actually pretty out of sync on this one. Um, I'm a four for the snap, um, that deletes wasp and, uh, the two wasps and an ant man out of existence. Uh, you're a five on that. 
I am. I do think, you know, as far as post credits go, it's a great moment. It sets up some stuff that that is obviously going to pay off really huge. And even though you know in your head something was going to happen to them because this, because timelines, um, it's a devastating reminder of what did happen, and just also the tragedy of just going through all this to get back, especially Janet, and then have them all blink out of existence, trapping Scott himself in the quantum realm. I think was such a like. Oh man, like yeah, stuff's don't forget stuff is as much fun as you had. There's heavy stuff and we're going to we're going to see mo- uh, more of it coming in end game. So I really loved it for that reason. I thought it was a very fun um well not fun, but exciting uh post-credit scene, one that we feel like we haven't had had in a while. Yeah, for me it felt like uh going into the movie that like I expected that there were like the post credit scene would be some of these people snapping. So there was like just no surprise factor to it. I guess the surprise factor is like just how thoroughly they cleanse the Ant Man cast. Um, so it's a four. It's a good scene. It's just it's just not. Uh, it's not everything that I look for in a post credit scene. Whereas meanwhile, the ant drumming on the drum set is a five from from josh wiggler it is uh, much lower for kevin <laughs> josh josh wiggler loves the ant drumming on the drums i don't know call me a sucker for ants kevin but i i just i just uh i just really enjoy that ant marching on, on I, uh, to the beat i of his much own prefer drummer. aunties to ants so mm-hmm. i uh, <laughs> i gave that a two it's you said bye auntie yeah, yeah it's uh it's fine it's fine it's a it's fine it's a fun moment you're just like all right um, I really much preferred the because we got I think I think a few more of those sequences throughout the movie. So I was kind of yeah. like, yeah, he's he's coming versus God. He's doing his thing. So at the end, it was just kind of like, yeah, all right, sure, yeah. <laughs> so it didn't uh, really hit me in the, in the way that I guess it did you. It was just cute. I love it. I just have a good time with it, and it's just like it's totally meaningless, but it's super cute, fun. Though. I like ants I enough, so. but <laughs> I think he's cute. I like him. Um, Good news for you. You are in line with crew, uh, with the listeners of Everything is Super. Uh, your two is lower than the 2.9, but that's a 2.9 versus my five. Uh, so you're much more in line with them. Uh, and then the audience is sort of in between us on the snap post credit scene, uh, skewing towards you a 4.6. Um, so that's enough to make the West Coast snap a top 10 post credit scene so far. Uh, and uh, the drumming scene is uh, 22 out of 30. So, pretty low. Pretty low. Uh, There's only so much I can uh, bend to my will, Kevin. Yeah, you tried Um, real hard with a five. (laughs) Final battle for Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, uh, this is just, you know, you and I have to land this one. And we've talked about, like, is it even really a battle? Um, It's a sequence. There's some punchy, kicky stuff to it. Uh, it is more uh, a chase, a bit, you know, a final chase scene, I think. Um, but for the purposes of the ranking, I think we can rank it. But to, to my comment earlier, that I think that the action in Ant Man and the Wasp is better than everything in Phase One, except for the first Avengers movie and Captain America: The First Avenger. Captain America: The First Avenger is at fourteen right now, and Thor is at fifteen. So I would argue to slot Ant Man and the Wasp above the final battle of Thor which is like, you know, destroyer stuff and sort of like the really cheesy uh, Tom Hiddleston versus uh, Chris Hemsworth stuff. 
uh, and the whole like you're going to lose her, which I just don't love as much as I. I think you liked that. No, I was. I, I hated that. Uh, you were yeah, the one yeah, who yeah. were defending it, and I was like, "Are you yeah. kidding me? How dare uh, you rewrite guy, history in such the a way?" Gaslighting didn't work. Damn it! I think I found um, the real King to Conqueror trying to alter the timeline over here, dude. You know how I feel about time travel, so. <laughs> Um, I would put Ant-Man and the Wasp behind Captain America the First Adventure. I guess that's fair. What's above Cap? Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, nah, Iron Man yeah, 3, nah. Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I the think, right I spot. For it. There was fun yeah. stuff, but even still, it, it didn't have as much fun stuff as the as the previous sequences had, I think, where it's like more everyday objects being grown and shrunk. Um, yeah. This did have, as a perfect segue, a pretty fun Stan Lee cameo to me. Um, but for a very specific reason, uh, this come? is of course it's, it's just him like by a car, right? Well, it's, him, then, like, it's him by a car, and the car just shrinks in front of him, and he just says, "Well, the sixties were fun, but now I'm paying for it." Um, but what I really and one, I love that line. I love that. I love that uh, description because the sixties were fun is also like that's when he created all these characters, pretty much. Um, and so now he's paying for it where they're everywhere. But um, also specifically, the sixties were fun, and now I'm paying for it, and that car. That's an Endgame connection, because in Endgame, when his cameo appears, it is the 1960s. He is a free-flowing hippie driving down in, I believe, that car, being like, oh, wow, saying like, screw you, you know, when, when he does that. So I do think it's really funny to have that connection of the 60s were fun, but now I'm paying for it, considering... It was outside of the place where Hank Pym was oh, cool. doing the Ant Man cool. stuff. So I do think that that cameo becomes stronger because of Endgame. All right, so let's talk about where we put that. Then is it better than uh, his connection to the Watcher in Guardians? Of no, Galaxy no, 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 never that. That's that's too good. <laughs> is it better than him being super drunk uh, at the age of Ultron party? No, I mean. Is it better than him stealing the Black Panther's money? No, but it might be next after that, I think. Is it better than Crazy Stupid Fine? I do think it is because of that. I just, as much as like Crazy Stupid Fine is really good, it's also Luis saying it and just having Stan Lee in a very Stan Lee way just be like, well, the 60s were fun, but now I'm paying for it is just kind of really charming to me and again having the connection where we actually see him in the 60s as a hippie you know doing the like screw you man kind of a uh, deal i think is really really fun kevin i'll, I'll give it to you yeah uh, I'm, I, I'm i'm sold i think that's great i'm especially excited now to get to end game and the stan lee cameo there that i've just been like kind of like uh not excited for because it's the last one uh, is there one in Far From Home? I don't think so. No, um, I don't think I don't believe there is. Home, yeah, unfortunately. Um, so I'm I'm sad to get to the end of the line on that, but I'm now excited to see how that connects to to Ant Man and the Wasp. So great call, great pull. Uh, Captain Marvel coming up, coming up next. We're coming up to Captain Marvel. Really excited about that. I think that that's going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to rewatch Captain Marvel. It's one that I have not seen since the first time, so this will be my second, only my second time ever seeing this movie. Um, and I'm really excited to watch it now, and uh, especially with a different context in mind, um, because you know the movie has a lot to do with the scrolls. But the you know uh, spoilers for if you haven't seen these Marvel movies, the scrolls are going to play a larger part. We now know in a upcoming movie of a sort. Um, so I'm really interested to rewatch it with that in mind and wondering how they're going to play with that. Because I do have a lot of opinions about what they do with the scrolls in this mo- in Captain Marvel and like w- the future of the MCU. 
Um, how much should next week's podcast be just us rocking out to grunge 90s music? I mean, that's literally all I did in the 90s. I was a big Nirvana yeah. fan, so... <laughs> I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I'm excited to talk about this. I love Brie Larson, so this will be really, really fun. Get your feedback in for that super at postshowrecaps.com. Subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already. Your ratings and reviews, greatly, greatly appreciated. We've got plenty else going on on Post Show Recaps. Of course, the Patreon, as we mentioned, postshowrecaps.com slash patron or patreon.com slash post show recaps on October 1st. That is when that is launching. If you would like to get in on the ground floor of the post show recaps Patreon, your presence would be greatly appreciated, accepted, celebrated, feted. Kevin and I will talk to you about Marvel movies. You can join us in the Discord. It'll be a great time. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Lovecraft Country that is still happening here on the main feed. Kevin, Yumi, and Latanya, we're going to have uh, an episode... Uh, episode seven, an episode seven yeah. to discuss. Crazy, crazy. So, wow, we're getting close to the end of the line on on that one. Uh, also, of course, as Kevin and I have mentioned, we'll be on another podcast, Must Have Seen TV, Brett White's podcast. I think that you'll get another Everything is Super podcast before that one comes out. And if that is the case, we will pump that one up again. But just do yourselves a favor and go watch Steve-O, the Family Matters episode, steve It's just one of the best episodes of television. So it's, it's, I, I've said the word wild a lot today, but it's wild. Yeah. Uh, in which I believe we did take a moment to stop down and suggest what if, uh, uh, Steve Urkel, AKA actor Jaleel white was cast as Reed Richards in the Marvel cinematic universe. Correct. <laughs> which, which would be absolutely incredible. It, I, I would be so happy for him. Although it'd be, it'd, it'd be weird because he's just like, Oh man, again, <laughs> like, but I think she doesn't have to talk in that voice, uh, which you'll be ecstatic about. My favorite fan casting that I've seen for the fantastic four is to basically just do the good place cast, uh, and have William Jackson Harper as Reed Richards and Kristen Bell as Sue storm. And I don't know how you divide up, uh, Johnny and the thing. Uh, well, uh, I think you have uh, many, many, many Jacinto, many Jacinto uh, yeah. play um, Human Torch. He'd be great. He'd and, be great. Uh, Jamila Jamil great. Uh, play the thing, which would be incredible. Yeah, just in like rock CG. And yep. then like they could have it be that they've escaped from the good place and they are just uh, in disguise as uh, as the Fantastic And Four. Janet could be Herbie. There we go. <laughs> that's great it works it works i would love that i'd be very happy about that all right we'll be back next week with captain marvel until then everybody take care Bye-bye. bye bye